You're listening to Identity Theft by Alana Terry, narrated by Becky Downey, and sponsored by the award-winning Kennedy Stern Christian Suspense series. Visit alanaterry.com slash unabridged to get the first three-book bundle in the Kennedy Stern Christian Suspense series today. And now, enjoy today's episode of Unabridged, the Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. Chapter 4 Madeline ran up to Lacey. Daddy says I get to have an ice cream because we didn't stay late enough at your house and you didn't even give me any dessert. Lacey forced a smile. That was awful nice of him. She avoided Curtis's gaze. Daddy says now I have to be good and promise to sleep in until eight o'clock tomorrow. Really? Well, I bet a big girl like you can do something like that, can't you? She puffed out her chest. I slept until 8.30 last Sunday. Daddy was mad because we were late for church because he promised he would help me make pancakes, but I spilled... All right, Munchkin, Curtis interrupted. You take this $10 here and go tell Miss Kathy up at the counter what you want, okay? And be sure to bring back my change. Madeline's eyes widened. Can I get a big one this time? Curtis frowned, but his eyes stayed soft. You know the rules. Madeline sighed dramatically as she turned around and marched to the counter. Mind if I sit down? Curtis gestured to the seat. Or if you'd rather be alone, I can... No, go ahead. He slipped into the seat across from her. I was just... She took a bite of Sunday and didn't bother finishing her thought. I'm sorry I left so abruptly. His tone was so kind it plunged icy pangs of guilt into her heart. She should be the one apologizing to him. She regretted so many things. Stringing him on for a year and a half, making him believe she was available. Making him believe her heart didn't still belong to a man who may or may not have been killed in a car crash. The past year and a half with Curtis had been nothing but lies. She had told him the information Driscoll had spoon-fed her about her past life. That was all. He didn't even know her real name. Don't apologize. She resisted the temptation to take hold of his hand, which rested between them on the table. Old habits. He took a deep breath. I've been thinking about it. And I'm sorry if I came across as too forceful. I was just... I was afraid of losing you. She watched his Adam's apple while he swallowed. It's just that after Renee died, I thought I'd never get over it. I thought I'd have to carry that pain around with me my entire life. And I was okay with that, because I had the munchkin. But then I met you, and I was laughing again and smiling. Madeline told me a few weeks after we started dating that she liked you because you made me act like a good daddy. Lacey wanted to interrupt, but Curtis held up his hand. You know I love you, Joe. I've already told you how I was going to propose to you at the salmon feed on the 4th. But I know you've been through a lot, too. You were in a serious relationship, and you lost Raphael just like I lost Renee. Trisclay hadn't concocted that part of Lacey's backstory. 
After a few dates, she told Curtis about a past boyfriend who was killed in a car accident. Looking back, she probably should have changed Raphael's name, but it didn't really matter. Not with someone like Curtis. The most honest Lacey had ever been with him was when she was talking about Raphael. In a way, the two of them had mourned their lost loves together. The difference was Curtis had healed. Lacey hadn't. Madeline proudly carried her dessert to the table and glanced at her father, who didn't react when she set down a large sundae. She gave Lacey a conspiratorial grin and dug in with her spoon. What I'm trying to say, Curtis continued, is I'm willing to be patient, whatever it takes, however long you need. I'm willing to wait for you. I want to be with you. But I've been selfish, pushing things when you're not ready. And I want to ask you to forgive me for that. Can we just rewind a few months, start off a little slower? I don't want to scare you away. You're the best thing that's happened to me since. He glanced at his daughter and sighed, letting his words trail off. Lacey stared at her melting Sunday. What had she done to deserve kindness like this, and why couldn't she reciprocate? Was it because of that remotest of possibilities Raphael was still alive? Even if he was, how could she possibly find him? How could she hope to randomly bump into one person out of hundreds of millions? She knew what she should do. She should accept Curtis's proposal, or at least keep dating him until she felt ready to take that next step. But her entire identity was a lie. Until she truly learned to embrace her identity as Joe, until she let Lacey die, how could she take such a drastic plunge? It had been a mistake to ever date him in the first place. What if Raphael came back and... I'll do it, she blurted. Curtis furrowed his brows and looked at her as if she had a fever. What do you mean? I mean, yes, the picture on your phone, 4th of July. I'm saying yes. She spoke cryptically because she knew Madeline was listening in on every word while she pretended to be absorbed in her ice cream treat. Madeline's eyes shot up, and she looked from Lacey to her dad. So you're doing it? You're really getting married? Lacey figured that with as crowded as the brain freeze was, combined with how loudly Madeline shouted out the news, every local in Glen Allen would hear by the end of the weekend. Curtis wrapped his arm around his daughter. We're having an adult conversation here, Munchkin. I'll tell you all about it when I tuck you in tonight, okay? She pouted. If you're really good, I'll let you pick out a candy bar before we go, but you can't eat it until tomorrow. Her eyes brightened and she took another noisy slurp of Sunday. Lacey's legs were trembling. Why did they keep it so cold in here? Curtis reached out and took her hand in his. I appreciate that, I really do, and I hope one day you'll let me put that ring on your finger and make things official. But right now, I think you just need time, and I've already promised you as much time as you need. He leaned forward. I want your whole heart, you know that. I'm not settling for half. Lacey's lip quivered. I don't deserve you. 
Curtis didn't seem to hear. I love you so much. You know that, don't you? She nodded. He glanced at the clock on the wall. It's getting late, Munchkin. We better go. What about my candy bar? On the way out. He sighed and turned to Lacey. Can I drive you home? She had lost her appetite. Sure, she forced a shaky smile. Thanks. They didn't speak on the drive back to Lacey's apartment. It was an awkward two minutes, and Lacey kept trying to think of a way to break the silence. She replayed their conversation in her mind. Were they engaged? Had they broken up? Why were things so confusing? If she really was Joe, she would marry Curtis in a heartbeat. He was an attentive boyfriend, a caring father, and he had raised a terrific kid. He was the perfect match for someone like Joe, a small-town daycare worker living a simple life in rural Alaska. No debt, no student loans, no real ambitions. That's the life Joe was made for. But as hard as she had tried to seize her new identity, Lacey still wasn't Joe. Tonight of all nights, it seemed she never would be. She was an East Coast girl, a theater aficionado, all but engaged to an up-and-coming contemporary artist who loved her wildly, passionately. With Raphael, she had felt exhilarated, terrified, excited, overwhelmed, all at the same time by his zeal and ardor. Life with him was like skydiving, one thrill after another, peaks of adrenaline, new adventures, spontaneous adventures every day. She couldn't even guess how many miles they had put on Raphael's airbrushed sob, driving from one art show to another. Life with Raphael was like the East Coast itself, fast-paced, vibrant, colorful. And Curtis? With Curtis, Lacey felt safe, safer than she had ever felt in her entire life, actually. With Curtis, she felt cherished and protected and adored. But there wasn't much difference between feeling adored and feeling smothered. Still, she should try. She should try to patch things up with Curtis. There were worse fates than ending up with someone safe. Besides, if the mafia ever did catch wind of where Drisclay had stashed her away out here in the middle of nowhere, it wouldn't hurt to be married to a state trooper with a whole arsenal of guns in his personal collection. Curtis pulled up in front of Lacey's apartment. I'd walk you in, but it looks like the munchkin is about to fall asleep. I'm not asleep, Madeline protested through a yawn. Curtis passed his phone to the back seat. Here, find the pictures of you and Grandma at Disneyland last year. Look through those while I say goodnight to Miss Joe. Madeline didn't protest, and Curtis leaned toward Lacey. You know I'll always care for you, right? Why did he say it that way? Why didn't he say he loved her like normal? She imagined responding that she loved him too, but the words caught in her throat. I'm gonna let you go now. His voice was so quiet. What was he saying? Was he saying he was dropping her off for the night? Or was there more to it? More than Lacey was ready to admit right now. He cupped her cheek with his hand and pulled her face closer. Slowly, 
tenderly, as if they both had all the time in the world. His lips met hers a centimeter at a time, warm, soft, just like his embrace, strong. She sucked in her breath. She wanted to keep him here with her forever. What was wrong with feeling safe? Why had she ever complained about that? She pressed her hand against the back of his head right as he pulled away. His eyes bored into hers, an expression that spoke such tenderness, such bittersweet longing. Goodbye, Joe, he whispered. She opened the truck door, forbidding herself from crying. There would be time for that later. A hot bath, a long cry, and a full night's sleep. She didn't look behind when she heard Curtis's truck pull away. She knew when she went into the witness protection program, her entire life would change, but she had no idea how heart-wrenching the process would be. Four years later, she was still a mess, still grieving Raphael, mourning her lost life, still wishing she could be Lacey again. She sighed as she entered her apartment. She never bothered locking her door. That was one Glen Allen habit she had picked up right away. Driscoll would probably force her to sit through an hour-long rant if he knew, but this one small act of defiance encouraged her. A small trace of the carefree, rebellious Lacey still remained. She didn't see him sitting at the dining room table until she was only three feet away. She screamed, Lacey, it's me. Blood drained from her face. She reached out for something to hold on to for balance. Raphael? Thanks for joining us today for Unabridged, your go-to podcast for unabridged Christian fiction audiobooks. You've been listening to Identity Theft, an Alaskan refuge Christian suspense novel by USA Today bestselling author Alana Terry. Hit subscribe so you don't miss future chapters, and be sure to tune in at the end of the season for a special behind-the-scenes episode about the making of Identity Theft. I'll tell you all about where I got my ideas for this book, how I came up with my characters, and the embarrassing realization that I had months after I wrote the story when I realized I wrote myself into this novel. Today's unabridged installment was sponsored by the Kennedy Stern Christian Suspense Audio Box Set. Audible listeners get the first three books in the best-selling Kennedy Stern Christian Suspense series for just one credit. New Audible listeners can download the first three audiobooks in this gripping, relevant series totally free with an Audible trial. Go to alanaterry.com unabridged to dive into the Kennedy Stern Christian Suspense audiobook series today. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.